You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Okay, uh, it's a game day today. Uh, The Redskins got two primetime games this year. Tonight is one of them. The other one will come in October at Minnesota against the Vikings. So two NFC North primetime games. This one at home where the Redskins are 2-16 since FedEx Field opened in 1997 on Monday night football. But there is this. They've beaten the Bears the last seven times they've faced them. Uh, neither one of those two things means much at all. Aaron's here. I'm here. I'll get to my Redskins win if coming up. Um, we'll go through the NFL uh, Sunday. It was actually very nice, Aaron, to sit back and be able to watch the NFL without having to focus on one team. And it was a good NFL Sunday. There were a lot of exciting games. Um, and certainly no more excitement than in Tampa yesterday, where Daniel Jones started his Hall of Fame career for the Giants with a massive comeback against the Buccaneers, down 18, and the Giants rallied for a 32-31 lead. He threw for 336, threw for two touchdowns, ran for two touchdowns, and all of New York is excited about the Daniel Jones era, uh, which is underway. So we'll have time to get to that. By the way, just as a quick FYI, A lot of you on social media yesterday were suggesting that this was another example of the Redskins blowing it, that they should have taken Daniel Jones. They couldn't take Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones went at number six overall. The Redskins had the number 15 pick in the first round. He was gone. He was off the board. He was not an option. Now, a lot of the reporting since that draft has... Uh, sort of revealed that there were people in the Redskins organization that were big Daniel Jones fans. I have personally heard that Jay Gruden liked him a lot, uh, that Kyle Smith liked him a lot. Um, but the owner didn't like him as much. The owner liked Haskins. That's who he wanted. But there, you know, there's been a lot of reporting you know, over the months that the reason the Giants took him at number six overall is they were fearful that the Redskins would take him before their second first-round pick came up, which I think was, what, at 17? Something like that that the Giants had. Um, And so that's why they took him so early. And remember, Dave Gettleman got skewered for it. He was lit up by media and fans alike. However, in a lot of the reporting since, they, um, and I'm trying to think, it may have been Lock and Fora. It could have been an Albert Breer story on Jones during the preseason when Jones was playing very well. But essentially, the the story that I can't remember who wrote and can't remember when it was written essentially revealed that the NFL people, you know, teams, scouts, general managers, they all liked Daniel Jones a lot. And none of them thought that the Giants were reaching at number six overall, even though the New York media crushed Gettleman and a lot of people here in Washington, obviously a lot of players on the team, Landon Collins saying that, you know, it was a big mistake. uh, Dwayne Haskins himself suggesting that the league done messed up by taking Jones before him. Um, And then you had, you know, Haskins from this week when Daniel Jones was named starter, when he said sheesh on Twitter, And we gave you the definition of sheesh. It's informal. It's an exclamation used to express disbelief or exasperation. I would say a lot of people uh, in Washington and on that franchise, Landon Collins, Dwayne Haskins, and others are probably in disbelief. I bet you Jay Gruden isn't, though. I bet you Jay Gruden and Kyle Smith are not shocked 
at the results that Daniel Jones had. Um, but anyway, uh, that's not important now. Daniel Jones didn't go into the Hall of Fame last night, and Dwayne Haskins versus Daniel Jones is far from being decided. We have many, many, hopefully many more years for that to get figured out. Um, going to get to Redskins Bears here in a moment. Uh, I did want to just mention real quickly something that Aaron and I were talking about before the show started. And that is the Ravens-Chiefs game. And the Ravens um, getting very aggressive in the game yesterday. They went for four fourth downs in the game, even with some bad field position. They they attempted three two-point conversions, didn't make any of them yesterday. There were a couple of three uh, two-point conversions attempted that really didn't make any sense, unless, of course, you've got some geek from Pro Football Focus now sitting in your front office and maybe even up in the booth saying to you know Harbaugh, hey, coach, you got to go for two right here. And then John afterwards is asked to explain all the two-point conversions, and he really can't explain it. But this is what he said because, you know, he is John Harbaugh, and by the way, a great coach and a great organization. Um, But if you really can't explain it, you just pound your fist down on the table and you just say it in the best positive way you can just because most people will just sit there and nod their heads and say, "Oh, oh, we get it now, coach, you're right. Here's how John Harbaugh explained going for two three different times, including when they were down 11 in the fourth quarter. The point was to score as many points as we could. Analytically, I can just tell you, I don't remember the situation, the X numbers uh, for which one was what, but every one of those were clear analytic decisions to go for two. So uh, and we, we had a mindset that we were going to come in and we were going to try to score as many points as we could. So that's what we tried to do, you know. And I know, I know we all felt the same way. You know, Lamar felt the same way. We all did. We're, we're, we're going to keep playing that way just for the record. So... When you write your article, just understand that we'll disagree with your criticism. You know, we're going after it. That's the way we're going to play all year. So. But John, even though you made that decision coming in, was there any second thought? No, no, absolutely not. Like I said, we don't play scared, Mike. You watched me for a long time. I do like John Harbaugh. I think he's a very good coach. I think he's tough-minded. I think it's always been an organization that's done it right. They've done it in in a physical way in terms of their on on field uh, personality, and they've won. Um, you know, over the years, they've been very smart management. And one of the one of the real pushes here recently, and they're not the only team, is to bring in a lot of you know geeky analytics. You know, young people um, to tell you when to go for two, when not to go for two. Um, and you know, five thirty eight dot com has put together the whole list of when to go for two and when not to go for two. And you know, it's based on a lot of things. It's based on a certain percentage of making two point conversions, and 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 a lot goes into that and John Harbaugh couldn't explain to you why he went for two so many times which is why he just erred on the side of we're just going to be aggressive we had to come in here and score you know as many points as possible remember when you miss a two-point conversion you've missed out on an opportunity to add a point at about a 95% clip like it's a 95% chance of making and actually with Justin Tucker it's nearly a hundred percent that you're going to make an additional point. They were 0 for 3 yesterday. By the way, this this analytics-based approach, aggressive approach, they had not yet in the first two games attempted a two-point conversion. So 
little bit of a disconnect there for me. If this is your mindset, if you are going to go for two at almost every turn, except when the analytics guy says don't go for two based on the chart that he's put together, um, I would have thought that there would have been a two-point conversion prior to yesterday, but there wasn't. But here's the biggest disconnect um, from what Harbaugh said. And even the analytics guy wouldn't be able to explain this one because when the Ravens were down 23-6 to in the second half, that's a 17-point deficit, and they scored a touchdown to make it 23-12, to they kicked the extra point. They did kick it once yesterday. And they kicked it to cut the lead to 10, 23-13. However, um, when the score was 30-13 to and they scored a touchdown to make it 30-19, to similar situation, down 11, they went for two. And John specifically was asked about that in his press conference after the game, and he couldn't explain it. I mean, I guarantee you they're just nodding their heads with the guys that are coming in with the charts and saying, all right, we're going to do what you tell us to do. Um, But he did go for two in that spot, but he didn't before. So explain that one to me, Aaron. Can you? Nope. I I think that if it was the idea behind it was we need to score points, we know the Chiefs are going to score points, so we need to score as many points as you can, and they went for two every time, that's understandable. You can disagree with it, but the logic there is understandable. But to kind of pick and choose in weird spots is a weird one. Yeah, I mean, there's there are two conversations there, right? The, the conversation of we need to score as many points as possible. We're going to be aggressive. We're playing the Chiefs at Arrowhead. It's, it's already, you know, a massive challenge. And we're going to go down swinging, being super aggressive, going for fourth downs, going for two. Um, but when you then get into the other conversation, which is when you should versus when you shouldn't, based on what the analytics say. And the analytics do not take context into consideration. It is pure math. And I got to tell you, seriously, context is everything in a sport like football. Um, Context matters in these decisions. Now, there are certain situations where it's clear cut. You have to go for two. Or other situations that are clear cut. You have to kick the extra point. Um, but if you don't in those other, you know, certain going for two has a slight mathematical advantage or going for one has a slight mathematical advantage, if you aren't taking context in consideration at that point, um, you're relying too much on people who wouldn't even be able to describe what the context was to you as a football coach, John Harbaugh. You're a football coach. You've got a feel for the game. You know what's going on. You've missed two two-point conversions already. Oh, so now all of a sudden, because we've missed two, are the odds now 100% we're going to make the next one? No, they're not. These are independent events. And and in the case of being down 30-19, to to go for two in that instance, where the analytics essentially are telling you, that you have to go for the win rather than going for overtime. That's a big part of two-point analytics, is that they get into the odds are better if you go for the win in regulation than you settle for a 50-50 opportunity in overtime. Well, the problem is, is not all overtimes are 50-50. It depends on context. Are you a better team at that moment than they are? Are they a better team than you are at that moment? Do you have a really good two-point play? Do they have a really good defense? Is weather a factor? Are field conditions a factor? Is wind? Whatever it is. I mean, could wind on the PAT be an issue? 
Lots of different things are, are play into it. So John Harbaugh is going to learn here pretty quickly that he cannot just go with the math, that there's context here. And down 30-19, to 19, when you've missed two in a row, you kick the extra point with Justin Tucker. I don't care what that propeller head in your, in your booth with your offensive coordinator is telling you what to do. You kick to make it a 10-point game so that you aren't down 30-19 to 19, having to go for two if you score another touchdown to miss again. <sighs> we're going to have so many coaching blunders tomorrow. There were so many all weekend long. Before I get to Redskins beat Bears if, wanted to mention this quick story that Scott Allen had. Um yesterday in the post. I don't know if it was in today's version or yesterday's. I read it online. Scott Allen writes, you know, the DC bog, which Dan used to write Dan Steinberg. He did an interview with Booger McFarlane. Booger is on the call tonight with Joe Tessitore. I can't stand Joe Tessitore. I'm not personally. I just don't think he's very good. He's way too, he's way too excitable. He's way too over the top. Everything's way too dramatic for me. It's just not my cup of tea. It's a subjective thing. Some of you may like Tessator as a lead guy on Monday Night Football. I don't. Um, I couldn't stand the job he did. Remember when he host college football final there for what, like half of a season and then they got rid of him, Aaron? That show was the best ever when it was Reese and it was Holtz and it was Mark May. Such a great show. I um, mean, it's not that bad right now with Joey Galloway and... Um, who else is on that show now? It's a, it's, a, it's a much better show now. But anyway, you know, when Monday Night Football comes to town, it's not unusual that you know reporters reach out, want to interview one of the two guys or three guys and do a story on it. And Monday Night Football is not what it used to be. I mean, Sunday Night Football is the bigger night for primetime football. Um, but Monday Night Football, when they come to town, it can be a big deal. It's not here. I mean, you know, we've had a lot of Monday Night games over the years. But Scott Allen did an interview with, with Booger McFarland, who will be on the call with Test Tour tonight. Um, and Booger, <laughs> Booger McFarland said a couple of things that were just, were, were just eye-rolling uh, opportunities for all of us. You know, first of all, when you come into a town as, as an analyst, it's better to err on the side of being polite of being nice, of being complimentary of your host, which, you know, tonight the Redskins are the host. They're hosting Monday Night Football, and McFarlane and Tessitore are going to be nice to everybody. You know, you wouldn't come in as a guest in someone's home saying, man, this house is hideous, you, you, your food is terrible, and the showers are dirty. You know, you come into somebody's home, even if you think the home is ugly, you're not going to say that. So Booger did the thing that most guests do. He lied. First of all, he said Bruce Allen's doing a hell of a job. All right? Lie number one. But then there was this about FedEx Field. FedEx Field. The dump we all know out in Landover. He said, quote, Booger McFarland did. It's a great venue. Just how the entire stadium doesn't really have an open end. It's all enclosed. The crowd noise, the fans. It's really turned into one of the iconic venues. Iconic! From a from an historical standpoint, from from just looking at it historically, he says, even though it may not be the most flashy, I enjoyed playing there. I didn't have a lot of success, but overall, I just think there's something about coming and playing there. Just because of how it's shaped. 
you get a lot of stadiums now, like in Tampa and Seattle, that are kind of open on one end, and Washington isn't that way. He likes the way it's shaped, FedEx Field. Mm. It's an iconic venue. Mm. Shape. It's got a nice shape to it. You know, it's not that pretty, but it's not that fat either. Iconic venue. The crowd noise. The crowd noise, actually, uh, Booger, has been great the last couple of home games. I mean, loud as shit for that Philadelphia finale last year. Really loud last week for the Dallas game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the stadium's really been raucous uh, the last couple of, of home games. Of course, not with home fans in the park, or not enough of them. To be fair, he never clarified that. <laughs> but but the Redskins have worked. Do, do you know this? The Redskins have worked on silent counts in practice for home games, Booger. For home games, they've been working on silent counts. Maybe that's why it's iconic. It's the only uh, home field advantage where you have that. Oh, wow. I know he's trying to be nice, yeah. um, but iconic's a little bit over the top. Um, with the Bruce stuff, Bruce did sign him to a five-year, $35 yes, million dollar contract he at did. some point. He did, so he's got to be nice to Bruce. Uh, real quickly, before we get to Skins win, if, um, you know, the Nationals um, and Brewers now really with some space here. They're four games clear of the Cubs. I mean, the Nats would really have to fall apart in the five games against the Phillies this week or the three over the weekend against Cleveland, and the Cubs would have to get super hot or Philadelphia or somebody would have to get super hot to knock them out of the playoffs altogether. Right now, it really does look like it's going to be a a Milwaukee-Washington wildcard game. So then it comes down to your the race this week is for the home field advantage. Um, a lot of people uh, I saw were asking this question about if they finish in a tie, it would go to Milwaukee. Because mm-hmm, they head-to-head. Head-to-head. They beat the Nats four games to two uh, in the regular season, so that would go to Milwaukee. And the Brewers have won 18 of 22, including probably, I don't know, half of those 18, if not more, have been without without Yelich, which is really amazing. Lesser competition, but yes. Yeah, and then, you know, as far as, you know, that wild card game, which now looks like about a 98% probability, um, you you really now have gotten to the point where the, the, the Braves lost, I think, over the weekend. The Dodgers won yesterday. The Dodgers are now four games up on the Braves. There was a chance briefly last week where maybe Atlanta could grab the number one seed, and I think that would have been advantage Nats. I know Atlanta sort of owned them. Um, but uh, it would have been a team that they were familiar with. Um, but now, more likely than not, the wild card winner between Milwaukee and Was- Washington in a one-game wild card uh, next Tuesday. It'll be a week from tomorrow, right? That's the Tuesday night game. Correct. Um, and what the American League game is that Wednesday night? Yeah, I think that's. The so uh, the winner will face the Dodgers in a best of five NLDS uh, after that. But be nice to finish the season. Get wild, you know. Get that home field. Milwaukee's got a really good park, a really good home field advantage. Um, it'll be a night game. Those wild card games at night, prime time. It's not one of those afternoon deals. Um, but uh, that'll be exciting, man. To be look where they were at nineteen and thirty-one. To be more likely than not, and I, I'm not jinxing it here. Come on, they got a four-game lead over the Cubs. The Cubs are reeling. They've lost six in a row. They would really have to the Nats would have to go in I mean I, anything over the final eight you know three wins probably does it over yeah. their final eight right. games you know maybe two will get it done but anyway um what is interesting about the Nats and the Brewers real quickly as an aside you know the Nats have the second best run differential in the National League behind the Dodgers the Brewers 
The Nats is the Nats run differential is plus one nineteen. The Brewers minus two. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be no. in this position, but man, have they gotten hot? All right, let's get to the Redskins win if. All right, the Redskins will win tonight if they do the following things. First of all, they've got to throw it to move it. I know that there have been some you know stories out there about Adrian Peterson against the Bears. The Redskins are not running the football against Chicago tonight. You cannot run the football against that team. That team, let me just make it really clear because we've had a lot of conversations about you know the Bears' offense struggling. Their defense is elite. Their front seven, elite. One of the best in football, and they are physical and they are fast. Redskins are not running the football tonight. Not with their sorry ass, you know, run scheme. They don't know how to run the football. Could Adrian Peterson break three tackles in the backfield to pick up five, six yards? Yes. Is that the way you're going to make a living tonight? No. They've got to throw it to move it, and they can't do it with a bunch of drop back. Jay's got to call a sharp game. All right. You've got to get quick game going. You've got to get bubbles, screens. Take advantage of what Chicago does a lot. Chicago plays a lot of zone defense. The Skins in the first two games have been pretty good at attacking zone schemes. Keenum's been good at finding the holes and, and getting the ball out quickly. This is a way the Redskins can move the football tonight. You've got to throw it to move it. All right, attack their weakness, and they don't have many of them, but their secondary is probably their weakness defensively. Eddie Jackson's really good. Now, he's also a little bit banged up coming into this one. Amukamara at one corner, Fuller at the other. They got HaHa back there, HaHa Clinton Dix. All right, that's the way you move it tonight. You got to move the football by throwing the football. The Redskins win tonight if they protect Case Keenum. What's been interesting about these first two games is they've actually done a pretty good job of protecting him. Just two sacks in two games, some hurries and hits. But if I were to tell you that the offensive line two and a half weeks ago was going to do, it was only going to allow two sacks of Case Keenum, you would have taken that and run with it. You know, the left side in particular, Penn and Flowers, they've done a pretty decent job in pass pro. The running backs have done a nice job in pass pro. But that was against Philly and Dallas, both good defenses. Chicago's pass rush with Khalil Mack and company, a completely different deal. Elite is what they are. Um, The only way to move it tonight, I believe, will be through the air. And to move it through the air, they've got to protect Case Keenum. Protecting him is paramount. The play calling will need to protect him. Not by running the football for minus two and setting up second and twelve but by calling pass plays that allow Keenum to read zone coverage, figure out where the receivers are going to sit down, and get it out quickly. The Redskins will win tonight if they get off the field on third down. They've got to do a better job of getting off the field on third down. Through three weeks, I'm sorry, through two weeks, the Redskins' 64.3% third down defense is the third worst in NFL history through the first two weeks. It has been a disaster defensively. Now, the good news, Chicago is not very good through the first two weeks converting on third down offensively. They're 6-for-26, third worst in the league in converting offensively on third down. That's been an issue for them. 
You know, the Redskins have to get off the field on third down. Now, now Trubisky, unlike Wentz and Prescott, can get fooled a little bit. The Redskins have to do a good job of figuring out how to make Trubisky think and hesitate. He'll throw one up for grabs against some zone coverage that he's reading his man. The Bears, by the way, and I've mentioned this, have more weapons than you think offensively. Tar Cohen, Cordell Patterson, David Montgomery, the rookie from Iowa State, Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, Trey Burton's coming back, you know, off this sports hernia surgery. It's been slow, but they think he's healthier this week. And by the way, the Bears are looking at the Redskin defense thinking they can get healthy. Tonight's the night that they can get Trubisky rolling because he hasn't played well. They can get his confidence up. The Redskins have to get off the field on third down. The last two weeks, just watching Dallas take the ball early in the second quarter and never give it back the rest of the way. Five scoring drives and then a walk-the-clock-off drive to end the game. That was just painful. Painful what the Cowboys did to the Redskins starting in the early second quarter. Seven plays, 97 yards, touchdown. 11 plays, 83 yards, touchdown. Nine plays, 75 yards, touchdown. 11 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. That's four straight drives. 11 plays, 68 yards, field goal. They had a penalty there. That's five straight drives with a score. 10 plays, 54 yards, touchdown. That's six straight drives with a score. That's unbelievable. I'm sorry, that's five straight drives with a score. And then the final drive of the game, six plays, 45 yards, game over. Embarrassing. Couldn't get off the field on third down. What the Eagles did to them in week one in the second half. Embarrassing. Touchdown drive, touchdown drive, touchdown drive, field goal drive, take a knee, game over. Embarrassing. It's got to get better. They've got to get off the field on third down. They're better than the way they've played in the first two games. The Redskins will win tonight if they punt well, which is something that I think you can count on. But here is the kind of game going into it. We're field position and making a team go 83 yards, 87 yards, 80 yards. Every time they have it will serve them well. Right now, Tressway is number one in the league in gross punting yards, average 52 point something. Second in net punting. The Redskins are fifth in the league in opponents starting field position, meaning that the opponent is starting in the fifth worst starting field position of the 32 teams on average. And the reason for that is A, they're punting the ball well, B, they're not turning the ball over, they haven't had one turnover in two games, And here's the other thing that has gone a little bit under the radar. I don't think the offense has done enough in the first two games, but they're way down the list in terms of why they're 0-2. But what they have done is they are top 10 to 12 in the league in plays per drive and yards per drive. And what does that do? That means that they make a couple of first downs. You know, the Redskins can, in in the first half, you know, certainly against Philadelphia, and against Dallas multiple times, they're not going three and out. They're moving the ball. They are 10th in the league in plays per drive. All right? That's top third of the league in that. They're 15th in yard. I'm sorry, 11th in yard, uh, 10th in yards per drive, 15th in plays per drive. All right, so top half of the league in both. You combine that with good punting, with no turnovers, and you're going to force the opponent into bad starting field position. That will be huge tonight. 
if the Bears have to start off, let's say the Bears end up with 11 drives in the game, 11 or 12, and 10 of them start inside their own 20-yard line, their 20-yard line or, or worse. That's huge. Trubisky, that offense, are they going to go 80-plus yards a bunch of times? I don't think so. Not even against the Redskins defense right now, which I think will step up and have a better night tonight. Lastly, the Redskins will win tonight if they avoid the big mistakes, you know, uh, on, on offense in particular. They have not turned the ball over through two weeks. Keenum's been lucky, though. We know that. We've watched every throw. He should have two to three, maybe even four interceptions at this point. Now, that's the nature of the position and the nature of the league. You get a lot of quarterbacks. Phillip Rivers, I bet, I, he's one of my favorites. How many interceptions are dropped on Phillip Rivers during the course of a season? Because he tries to fit it into tight windows. He'll take risks. He'll take chances. Keenum does the same thing. Keenum's been very lucky, though. He had a pick six dropped. He's had two others that were right in the, the defender's hands that were dropped. But he's got to continue to get a little bit lucky tonight because if they turn the ball over against this pass rush and that team and all of a sudden you've shortened up the field for Trubisky and company, even if they're kicking field goals, it could end up being a difference maker. There you go. Redskins win if they throw it to move it, they protect Keenum, they get off the field on third down, they win the field position battle with good punting, with enough drives offensively where they're moving the ball a little bit before they're punting, um, and they don't make big mistakes on offense in particular. Uh, there, there are other things you'd hate to see. You know, Josh Norman burned twice by Allen Robinson on deep balls. You know that Redskins have to be a little bit better from a communication standpoint in their secondary. Um, I see a game that's got a chance to be really close, and I think it's a game the Redskins will have a chance to win. I actually, you know, I leaned Redskins, I think, with the smell test. I'm not giving them out smell test-wise. I'd, I'd lean Redskins plus five is where the number is right now. Um, and I would probably tell you that because everybody's on the under, the game will probably go over. You know, it'll probably be like, what's the number, like 42 and a half, yeah, 42? F- yeah, around 41, 42, depending on yeah, the book. so, you know, I'll give you my score, but it'll add up to something higher than 42 because everybody's going to be on the under tonight. And the public hates playing unders especially on Monday Night Football, but this one reeks of uh, of, of a low-scoring game going in, which is probably why it won't be in the NFL. Um, we'll get to the rest of the NFL and go around the NFL here in a moment, but first, a quick word about mybookie.ag. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns, two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with nobody to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. I always tell you, tread lightly, make sure everything in your life is done with moderation. That's good advice, don't you think? Uh, anyway, do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and the best lines of all the sports books out there. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where a lot of people I know play. You should too. So many of you have asked me over the years, where should I play? I don't have access to it. Now I'm giving you access, by the way, with a great offer. Mybookie.ag. They've got all sports, the best lines, best pricing on the VIGs. 
Um, multiple opportunities for in-game betting. And right now, if you join, my bookie will double your first deposit. But you've got to use my code. My code is KevinDC, K-E-V-I-N-D-C, to activate the offer, which is a doubling of your first deposit. Visit mybookie.ag today. Use my promo code KevinDC. You play, you win, you get paid. Uh, by the way, uh, a couple of you asked me why I talk about covers.com if I'm doing spots for my bookie. My bookie is an actual betting site. Covers is an information site. They're not competitive. They're two totally different things. Covers is a sports betting information site, not a way to actually bet on sports. If you want to bet on sports, please give mybookie.ag a shot. Couple of quick things before we get to what happened in the NFL um, yesterday. Um, tonight's very interesting for this reason, and and I think that most of us know this intuitively. If they get run out of the building, say thirty-one to ten, there's gonna be big change. I would be very shocked at a bare minimum if Greg Minuski has a job on Tuesday tomorrow if they give up thirty-one in a thirty-one ten loss. I think they would elevate somebody like Tom Sula or, God forbid, Rob Ryan. But there's been pressure on Minuski. By the way, he handles it well. You'd never know it watching him in his press conferences. He's a good dude. Everybody who knows him likes him. Um, But if they get run out of the building with a Chicago offense that's generated 19 points in two games, and let's just say it scores you know, 31 and they lose big, um, there's going to be change. Um, And it will also put the season after three weeks into major peril. If they lose tonight in a big way, I could easily see the beginnings of a 13-14 loss season. I don't think things are stable. Uh, I know I mentioned this on Friday, and a couple of you wanted me to get into more detail. The only thing that I can um, essentially say is that I, I don't think that the head coach and the front office are as tight as they used to be. All right, that's my guess. Um, and and my my other part, my other guess would be that the head coach probably sees that the end is near. Um, but at the same time. I think they all feel like tonight could be the beginning of getting back into a season here. Because a win tonight, then they look at the Giants, even though the, the Giants are already favored. They're favored by three points Sunday in the Meadowlands. But Miami comes then two weeks after that. I think they see tonight being the key to a potential 3-3 three and three record after six weeks which would give them a chance. But like I've te- I've said to you guys a million times when it comes to NFL schedules, and this is why you just can't really, you know, you can't predict it in August based on the schedule. Like if you had looked at the schedule this year and you had seen Buffalo and San Francisco and Detroit, wouldn't you look at those game and say, games and say, wow, those should be winnable. San Francisco at home, Detroit at home, Buffalo on the road. San Francisco's undefeated, Buffalo's undefeated, Detroit's undefeated. All right, right now. Um, in fact, really, the Redskins' schedule on paper now is actually more difficult than it was, Aaron. Chicago looks more winnable than San Francisco does, or perhaps even Detroit or Buffalo do. Anyway, you take it one at a time. If they can win tonight, I think they believe out there there's a way to get a little bit of a confidence that they don't have right now, and to get into position to be 3-3. Three and three. 
If they lose tonight, that three and three is out the table with New England in two weeks. In fact, if they lose tonight, you know who's going to really think they're going to the Meadowlands and beating Daniel Jones um, and uh, and and that team? Although Saquon Barkley got hurt yesterday and he may not be available, he had a high ankle sprain. Um, but tonight, really, you know, I know we talked about it last week. Is you know, is it code red or not code red? It is code red. You know, if. If they as an organization, say Bruce and Dan, thought they were close to something, if they fall to 0-3 with Daniel Jones next week and New England the week after that, uh, this thing's going to get out of control and it's going to get ugly in my view. And I do think, I do think there will be change, um, especially if it gets ugly. Now, I guess there's context for a close loss and an encouraging loss. Um, but if it's um, not close and not very encouraging, I would be shocked uh, if there aren't changes. The only thing that may prevent them from happening this week is that it's a short week. You know, it's a short week for um, the Redskins to prepare for the Giants because the game's being played on Monday night. Uh, by the way, um, I think offensively the Redskins are going to play well tonight against an elite defense, a true elite defense, but I have a feeling that they're going to be able to move the football a little bit um, and hang in there, and I'll have my prediction coming up a little bit later on. All right, let's go around the NFL and talk about some of the games from yesterday. The biggest plays and the clutch moments. It's time to go around the NFL. All right, let's start in uh, Tampa for really what was, I think most people thought, um, one of the biggest stories of the day and that was the debut of Daniel Jones and we talked about it a little bit earlier they're playing a terrible defense but Jones was really good in this game you know he rushed for two touchdowns he was 23 of 36 for 336 and he threw for two touchdowns he had an excellent football game and I think one of the things that you know you've known for almost a month now maybe even a little bit longer going back to them early in the preseason remember in in the early portion of the preseason like in that first game I think they had against the Patriots was it the Patriots the the first team they played in the preseason I forget the order of the games um but the bottom line is is this guy Daniel Jones was like perfect and every opportunity he had in the preseason he was like perfect I don't did he throw an incompletion in the preseason if he did it was like one or two and that was it and you heard the buzz coming out of New York they were very impressed with him going back to OTAs and minicamp and they saw the end for Eli Manning. It was just a matter of when. Like, they were going to give Eli a chance, and he started the first two games, didn't play well. They were 0-2, and it's a good spot to bring Daniel Jones in for his first game because the Buccaneers are terrible on defense. This is truly one of the worst defensive teams in the NFL um, right now. Uh, but he played well. He did, and he, he, he certainly, through one game, you know, gave Dave Gettleman something to smile about, gave Pat Shermer something to smile about, gave the Giants organization something to think and dream about um, because they had uh, an Eli Manning era that was a pretty good era. You know, it included two Super Bowl victories. And a, a lot of people see a lot of, uh, of Eli Manning except with wheels in Daniel Jones. Um, he's got some wheels, by the way. Uh, so they win that game 32-31. They're an early three-point favorite over the Redskins in the Meadowlands for what will be his first home start. And I would imagine, you know, uh, that the Meadowlands will be ginned up, jacked up, ready to go for his first home game ever. That place in Tampa yesterday sounded super loud with giant fans down in Tampa, as it usually does. 
Staying in the division, man, the Lions beat the Eagles 27-24. You know, the Eagles, um, they turned it over a couple times in that game. Uh, They had an opportunity on a blocked field goal down 27-24 with a big return of that field goal to be already in field goal range there at the end of the game. But on the blocked field goal return, there was a penalty, a block in the back. So instead of having it first and 10 at the Detroit, I think it was the Detroit 25-yard line, something like that, they would have already been in field goal range. The ball got back, uh, moved back to midfield, and the, uh, and the Eagles went four and out, game over. Matt Stafford and the Lions go to 2-0-1, and, and the, the Eagles drop to 1-2. and two. And the Eagles, by the way, have a short week and a game at Lambeau Thursday night against the 3-0 and Packers. So the Eagles are staring 1-3 and three right in the face. And by the way, then they get, a, 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 I guess, a quasi-break with the Jets at home. And then listen to this. At Minnesota, at Dallas, at Buffalo. Then the Bears, Patriots, Seahawks. Man, the Eagles all of a sudden, by not winning last Sunday night at Atlanta, not winning at home against Detroit, had to come back to beat the Redskins, they're looking a little less than what I thought they were, which was a contender for the NFC East crown and a contender for certainly an NFC uh, playoff spot. The Cowboys right now at 3-0 have jumped off to the best start overall. Um, In that game, by the way, the Lions got very, very conservative late in that game, which I thought was a big mistake. Um, They had an opportunity on a third down in field goal range up 27-24. Matt Stafford on a bootleg's got a wide open receiver and missed him badly, and that was right before the blocked field goal. If he had thrown the ball well to Galladay, it would have been a first down and they would have been able to run the clock out. Instead, they lined up for a field goal up three. It got blocked, returned, you had the penalty, and there you go. Um, Philadelphia ends up going four and out and missing an opportunity to either tie up the Lions or, or win the game there when the Lions had a chance to basically put the game on ice. Um, the other division game was Dallas-Miami. Dallas went off at, what, 22, 21 and a half, Aaron, something like that? Yeah. I didn't look at either one of those two games personally and bet them. Um, I would have bet the dogs, and it would have gone one and one because yeah. the Cowboys ended up covering the number. But I'll tell you what, if you had the Dolphins on the first half line, you won easily because it was 10-6 to six at halftime. It was actually 10-6 to six with the Dolphins driving to take the lead before the end of the first half. And I think it was Kenyon Drake fumbled, you know, at like the Dallas, you know, five-yard line, something like that. Dallas recovered, um, and they went on to, uh, to roll in the second half to get a big win. Taco Charlton, who the Cowboys released last week, uh, the Dolphins picked up, and he had a sack in the game against his former team. Also, I made the comment either on the radio show or on the, on the podcast, maybe both on Friday, about how incredible it was that the Dolphins were playing this season as tr- in true give-up mode right from the jump. We've really never seen that in the NFL. Cleveland was a very competitive at times 0-16 team, if you can believe that. Uh, Miami had been outscored you know, uh, 43-0 and 59-10 in their first two games. They came out, they tried an onside kick, they tried a, a lot of different things. Josh Rosen got his first start, so they made more of an effort yesterday. But Dallas, too good, and the Cowboys are now 3-0. and They go to New Orleans next Sunday night to face the Saints without Drew Brees, even though the Saints won at Seattle yesterday. And then they get a matchup on October 6th, the first Sunday uh, in October, 
Um, they get a matchup at home against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. That could be, when we get to it, it could be a matchup of two 4-0 teams. The Packers with the Eagles in a short uh, week situation on Thursday night, and the Cowboys go to New Orleans, but they face Teddy Bridgewater, not Drew Brees. Uh, that would be, by the way, early October, 4.25 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Cowboys-Packers, both undefeated teams. That would be one of those where we would read about on Monday that Fox did the single highest television rating for their late window in like 15 years. Something like that. Um, That's what's coming down the pike for uh, the Cowboys. All right, elsewhere around the NFL. The Ravens-Chiefs game, we sort of talked about it already when we were talking about the the John Harbaugh analytics. The, the, The people that were saying before this game, and I don't know if I said it on the podcast, I said it on one of the two on Friday, Come on. Lamar Jackson's intriguing. I like watching the Ravens play. I like watching him play. Uh, Mahomes versus Jackson's not going to be Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady. Mahomes is in a category all by himself right now. Uh, And that includes the greats right now. He throws it as well as anybody does. And by the way, is elusive, creates time. He's truly like almost a stronger armed version of Aaron Rodgers at this point. Um, Jackson is crazy uh, good in the way he plays, but I've said this before about Jackson. He's one of these guys that does not throw with anticipation. Now, does it matter because he's able to create so much time by extending plays inside the pocket, outside the pocket? It doesn't matter that much. He's made some big plays, missed a lot of throws yesterday that could have kept the uh, the Ravens in it. They ended up losing 33-28. to They actually got the cover. Um, got a little uh, backdoor cover there at the end with that last touchdown to make it 33-28 with like two minutes to go. By the way, one other quick point I wanted to make. It's on all the, it, you know, it was the all the analytics people that were tweeting this out yesterday. So the Ravens scored with two minutes and one second to go. It went for two again, missed it. So it's 33-28 instead of 33-30. By the way, they should have gone for two. That was the right spot to do it. They were down 11. They should. They needed to go for two there. If they hadn't gone for two before, they could have kicked for the point, and it would have been a three-point game. Anyway, um, with two minutes and one second, they had uh, a drop kick onside kick attempt. It wasn't really an onside kick attempt, okay? But they drop-kicked it where the ball popped up in the air, which allowed for Kansas City to call for a fair catch on the kickoff return. And I'm telling you, you would have thought that the analytics people, you know, considered John Harbaugh to be Albert Einstein. Like, oh my God, that was brilliant! Because now Kansas City has to run a play before the two-minute warning, which acts like another timeout for Baltimore. Well... Hello. The, by the way, that drive after the little drop kick, you know, attempt, which did result in a fair catch for Kansas City uh, at um, at their own 36-yard line. If Justin Tucker, Aaron, had just kicked the ball out of the end zone, would the clock have started? No. No. Okay. So it, it was not a genius move. In fact, it probably wasn't the smart move at all. The smart move would have been for Justin Tucker to kick it clear through the end zone at Arrowhead, which, by the way, he can do. All right? That's what he does, is he kicks it through the end zone pretty much every single time he wants to kick it through the end zone, and the other team has to start from their own 25-yard line. That's what happens almost every time he lines up. He, 
He kicked it out of the end zone early in the game. I'll go through all of these after the uh, after the Baltimore scores. Let's see. Did he kick it out of the end zone on the next one? Uh, yes, yes, yes. A lot of starting points of the 25-yard line because Justin Tucker kicked it out of the end zone. So what would have really been genius is if he had had Justin Tucker kick it out of the end zone. Then the clock would have still been at two minutes and one second, but the Chiefs would have had the ball from their own 25-yard line. My God, I, I mean, John, the, some of these teams that are relying on some of these guys to make decisions for them, better think twice. Because I bet you John Harbaugh's like, <laughs> our analytics guy came up with that drop kick idea. Uh, yeah, uh, you got a guy that can kick it through the end zone every single time, and you can put them at their own 25 with no time, having been run off the clock. Dumb, dumb. Um... Baltimore loses 33-28. Kansas City is really good. So is New England. The AFC's got two exceptional teams, and I think in Baltimore has a really good team too. I actually think there's another team in the AFC that's really good. I'll get to them in a moment. Um, Elsewhere around the league, how about what San Francisco and Pittsburgh did to each other? Pittsburgh forced five turnovers in the game and couldn't win. When's the last time a team had plus four in the turnover margin? I think that's what it was, and lost the game. Pittsburgh with Mason Rudolph. Rudolph was not impressive in this game until late. Had a bomb to this guy, uh, Deontay Johnson. Had a slant to Schuster. He took it to the house. Here's the thing about San Francisco, watching them yesterday, because that was the CBS game. They They have incredible team speed. Have you have you watched this is the first time I've watched San Francisco. They have a really good team speed. Defensively they do, offensively they do. Um Matt Breda and Mostert are quick, fast. Kittle by the way is a great tight end. We've known that. Debo Samuel, mark this down, he's going to be a star wide receiver in this league. Debo Samuel, rookie South Carolina. They've got Goodwin, they've got speed. Richie James can run. And you know what they, the, the Shanahan uh, family does better than any other family in the history of the NFL? Run the football. I don't care what Kyle or Mike do or with whom they're working or what they have. They figure out a way to run the football. It's truly what they will both be remembered for is nobody could run the football more consistently than the Shanahans. 168 yards on the day for the 49ers who are... 3-0, and oh. and I believe, I thought I saw this earlier, I'm going to look it up right now, I want to see where they are right now in rushing offense. Um, fourth in the league in rushing offense through the first four games. The Ravens are first, Vikings second, Cowboys third, 49ers are fourth in NFL rushing offense in the first four games. Very impressive um, win for them to get to 3-0. and oh. Uh, and uh, they got the Rams coming up in a couple of weeks. Speaking of the Rams and the Browns last night, um, I did fall asleep in the second half of that game, Aaron. Um, I watched the final drive this morning. Man, first and goal at the Rams' four-yard line. Plenty of time, all their timeouts. They never ran the ball once. They put it in Baker Mayfield's hands, which wasn't necessarily the right decision. Um, He looked... I thought both quarterbacks really um, looked average last night, including Jared Goff. Now, that could be a result of two really good defenses, which I think it is. Um, But neither quarterback looked great. But the Rams get to 3-0, holding on 20-13 over the Browns, who that that stadium last night, pre-kick, 
was jacked up, just like Georgia was Saturday night before the Notre Dame game. Uh, the Packers, the Broncos were a smell test pick. I know a lot of you are like, get off the Broncos. They've actually played well in the first three weeks. They've played three really good teams. Well, they played two really good teams last two weeks. Two, uh, good defenses, excuse me. All right, really good defenses. Um, too many turnovers. Noah Fant, in particular, had a big first down in a drive where they're down a touchdown and they're moving the football, and he just handed it to the defender. Flacco had a bag, bad pick, had a fumble. He was under siege. The def- the Denver offensive line is terrible. He got sacked six times. Um, I like Philip Lindsay a lot. I like their defense a lot. Green Bay didn't do much offensively in the game, um, but they won the turnover battle by a lot. I mean, it was a I think plus three in the turnover uh, category, and that made the difference in a twenty-seven to sixteen win. And the Packers with Preston Smith, by the way, Preston Smith uh, yesterday. Um, ended up with three more sacks. Okay, so Preston Smith on the season right now, on the season has, I'm going to look this up, he has four and a half sacks through three games. Not bad. Having a pretty good season in Green Bay. He never really had that, never was much of a, he was a pressure guy. He's a pressure guy. He's a decent player here. Um, they just didn't want to pay him. Uh, and he's doing very well in Green Bay. Green Bay really, really put an emphasis on defense. You know, they signed you know Amos the safety, Smith, and then Zadarius Smith from Baltimore. Drafted Darnell Savage out of Maryland. They needed to remake their defense. They've done that, and their defense is off to a really, really good start. And they are three and zero with the Eagles coming in for a Thursday night game. You know, their next three games are Eagles, Cowboys, Lions. So we will see about what the Packers are made of in the next few weeks. A couple of more quick um, notes on the uh, NFL day. Um, the the Panthers' Kyle Allen, rookie quarterback out of Houston, was unbelievable in his debut. He threw four touchdown passes. McCaffrey was great in that game. Didn't you – did you play the Cardinals? I did. Yeah. Uh, the Panthers blew out the Cardinals 38-20. to um, the Texans came from behind to beat the Chargers 27-20. I think Houston's good. Now, they don't protect Deshaun Watson very well, um, but I actually think they're a good team. Um, I think the Chargers are a good team, too. The Chargers are really tough with Keenan Allen and, and Rivers offensively, but you know they had you know Rivers you know uh, had a couple of misses. There were a couple of key drops. There were a couple of penalties on big plays that brought the ball back there at the end, and they lose 27-20. to The Chargers are off to a 1-2 and start. They lost to the Lions last week. Fortunately for them, they get the Dolphins coming up um, this week. But I think Houston's got a good team. Like, it would not surprise me. Under that division, the Colts beat the Falcons yesterday. They're 2-1. and That AFC uh, South, you know, has Houston, Indy, and now Jacksonville with Gardner Minshew in the defense. Going to be an interesting division all year long. I think I'll take Houston right now to win that division, Aaron. I, you know I like Jacoby Brissett, and, and really, right before Luck retired, I went on this big thing about Brissett because somebody else had said something. Um, but, but I'd probably take Houston uh, in, in, in that division. Um, they're probably just better all around. Um, plus, they've been there a little bit, even though Indy was there last year. I don't know. It's going to be a tough division to call. All Colts are long. frisky. That was a fun game. 
Yeah, really good game. Uh, Atlanta really started off slowly, came back. And how about what the Saints did to the Seahawks? They get an early punt return from this guy, Harris, who they've liked, you know, going back to like training camp. You heard him talking about Deontay Harris. You know, Deontay Harris, number 11. He's a wide receiver from Assumption College. All right, rookie, five foot, five and a half, 170 pounds. And they've been talking about what a great returner he is. Uh, Willie returned a punt for a touchdown that gave him the lead. You know, Bridgewater really didn't have to do that much. Um, there was a fumble return for a touchdown, the punt return for a touchdown, and the Saints win, you know, really going away, even though the final score was 33-27. That last touchdown came on the final play of the game. The Saints were a smell test pick. They were the one winner in the NFL. Denver and Cleveland were the two losers uh, in the NFL on what turned out to be a 9-5-1 and one, uh, week. Um I think that's it. Patriots hammered the Jets. Uh, the Vikings uh, got a big day from Dalvin Cook. Kirk Cousins wasn't anywhere near what he was a week ago. Um, was really solid, didn't turn the ball over. But they've got a running game with Dalvin Cook. He's got to stay healthy. Their offensive line still isn't that great. Their defense has stepped up, and if it's healthy, it's going to be a force in that NFC North. And then how about the Bills? We didn't mention them. Uh, they gave up a 14-0 lead, and then down 17-14, Josh Allen drove them for the winning score and they are 3 and 0. Couple of a, a more a couple of more NFL notes. First of all, the NFC North right now, Green Bay's 3 and 0, Detroit's 2-0 and 1, Minnesota's 2 and 1. So for Chicago to keep pace, they were one of the favorites to win this division. Maybe the favorite more than anybody else. They were else. the favorite. Um they, they to win, they would have a, a, a 2 and 1 record if they can win tonight. Um, and they'd be sitting there in a division that at that point would have nine wins and two losses through uh, three weeks of the season. Also wanted to mention this, if you didn't, two, two more notes from the NFL weekend. Number one, four teams that missed the playoffs last year, four of them are undefeated. Buffalo, Detroit, Green Bay, and San Francisco. Typical of the NFL, teams that didn't make the playoffs last year, you're going to have somewhere between... You know, of the 12 NFL playoff teams, it's going to be five or six are going to be teams that weren't in the playoffs a year ago, pretty much every year. You know, half the playoff field turns over year to year. And now the Bills, Lions, Packers, and Niners all undefeated after missing the postseason last year. And then how about these numbers from Patrick Mahomes through through the first 20 games of his career? He has the highest numbers by a quarterback through 20 career games in passing yards he's thrown for 6,576 yards in 20 games he's thrown for 60 touchdowns in 21 games no NFL quarterbacks ever done that his passer rating is the highest in NFL history through his first 20 games Mahomes has been unbelievable he's also the first player to record at least 350 passing yards, three touchdown passes, and zero interceptions in three consecutive games in NFL history. He did it yesterday, throwing for 378, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, he has been unbelievable. And even though last year, you know, I said, don't put him into Canton quite yet. He's going to go ahead and finish his first year. He really has been Sensational. By the way, one other quick note about Christian McCaffrey's performance yesterday. He um, had 188 scrimmage yards yesterday, 153 on the ground, 35 receiving, and a touchdown. McCaffrey um, 
uh, who had 209 scrimmage yards and two touchdowns in week one, is just the fourth player in NFL history with at least 185 yards and a touchdown in two of his team's first three games of a season. He joins, listen to this class, Jim Brown, Billy Sims, and Adrian Peterson on that list. McCaffrey's special, man. Fun to watch play. And that speed on that long 76-yard touchdown run was incredible. Uh, All right, uh, let's finish up with a little weekend uh, DVR, talk about some of the college games from over the weekend, and then we will finish with a Redskins pick uh, in the game tonight. But real quickly, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I know we mention this every time, wanted to mention it a little bit earlier in the show, rate us and review us really helps us if you write a review and put it in. Um, Also, uh, you can subscribe, no cost. That helps us as well. All right, let's finish up with a little weekend DVR. Did you have a busy weekend? Don't worry. We've got you covered. It's time for weekend DVR. All right, let's start with uh, some of the college football from Saturday because um, uh, the Notre Dame-Georgia game, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen an atmosphere pre-kickoff like that one. Usually it's reserved for LSU-Alabama at night in Baton Rouge. That's when you usually see it. Um, That game was a really good football game, the Georgia-Notre Dame game was. Um, I liked Notre Dame. I thought they showed a lot on the road as a – as by the way, that game went off at 16, Aaron. That was 16, 16 and a half at kickoff. I thought Notre Dame showed a lot in that game. And, you know, if somehow they had been able to pull it off, they certainly would have been one of the – uh, playoff favorites, but they're good. They're going to be good the rest of the the year. They don't have anybody near as good as Georgia on the schedule. They play Virginia this week in South Bend. They've got a game against Southern Cal. That's in South Bend. They have to play at Michigan this year. Michigan's reeling. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, uh, Stanford's not nearly as good this year. I think Notre Dame's got a chance to go eleven and one. You know, I think they've got a chance to be a one-loss team, and it'll be make it interesting because. That loss for Notre Dame on Saturday night in that atmosphere is what would be, I think, categorized as an impressive loss. Like if Georgia were to go the rest of the way undefeated and let's say win the SEC title game and be the number one seed in the playoff, and Notre Dame sitting there is, you know, for the final spot, one of two or three one-loss teams, that loss is going to look like a good loss at the end. They played well. They played very well. Um, UCF finally lost. <laughs> you know, Pitt beat him. That was a smell test lean on Friday. Uh, Pitt plus the eleven and a half. Did you bet it or not? I didn't touch that game. No, you didn't. No. Um, so Pitt wins thirty five thirty four. Something about Narduzzi that I like a lot. Um, I, I something about Pitt in in the last several years with some of the coaching. You know, they have sort of a traditional offense. They are hard nosed. They play tough football. Um, and they won that game, by the way, on a call on fourth down, the Philly special, the one that the Eagles ran with Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. They called it the Pitt special. Uh, they won on that play, winning at 35-34 to end that long regular season winning streak that UCF uh, had. Um, Virginia, in terms of the locals, do you know they were down 17 nothing to ODU at home? Saw that. They came back, they won the game 28-17, and now they head to Notre Dame. They play as an undefeated team next Saturday at South Bend. Um, I think they are like an 11.5-point underdog uh, in that game. 
A um, couple of other college games before I get to one of the most remarkable comebacks in college football history. Um, and that would be the, you know, first of all, the Friday night game, since we haven't talked, that USC-Utah game was fun to watch. First of all, SC loses their second quarterback after losing JT Daniels. Matt Fink, a guy that was going to transfer as the third string quarterback, comes in early first quarter and ends up throwing for 351 yards and three touchdowns, and SC beat Utah 30-23. to um, Utah's really good. And they're going to be an opportunity here, Aaron. Trust me, the rest of the year. The fact that they lost that game, you know, they won't get as much respect. They're really good on defense. SC at one point in the fourth quarter, all right, and understand this, this was not much sack yardage included. At one point in the fourth quarter, they had minus 27 yards rushing with no sack yardage included in that. They finished the game 22 carries, 13 yards. Utah's run defense is unbelievable. Unbelievable. That game on Friday night, did you watch this at all? Yeah, I had to, actually, I had the over in that game. That was such a chippy, physical, violent game for the Pac 12. I, I, I thought it was highly entertaining to watch that game. Um, had, oh, Michigan. Jim Harbaugh's got to be in trouble right now. I mean, they were horrible against Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I think, is really good. John Taylor, he's he's got a good shot, you know, in the Heisman race. Yeah. Um, 203 yards. And I think, what is that? He's got like two on the season so far. He rushed for, okay, I'm sorry. He had a, because he barely played in the first two blowout wins. I mean, he had 135 and 102, but he's got 440 in three games. <clears throat> he's got a shot. He's got a shot. He won't win it. Some of these quarterbacks are putting up two gaudy numbers, but he could be a finalist. He could be. A, I, I mean, I, I think there's a chance, depending on, on what Wisconsin does this year, I think there's a, a legitimate chance for him to, 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 to snag the Heisman when all is said and done. I mean, we've got a long way to go. Long way to go. Um, lastly, the game of the weekend. None of you saw it because it ended in the wee hours of Sunday morning. Um, but it was one of the great comebacks in the history of college football, especially when you consider the circumstance. UCLA was 0-3 with Chip Kelly coming into their game at Washington State. Washington State, Mike Leach's team was undefeated. Uh, what was the number in that game? 20-something? I'm not sure exactly. I'm going to look it up real quickly. I, 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 I liked UCLA a little bit, believe it or not. I know that sounds like an after-the-fact thing, but... I didn't play it, but I actually almost considered playing it. <clears throat> Trust me, there are games I nearly considered playing that I would have lost to. 18. Uh, Washington State was an 18-point favorite, in part because UCLA was 0-3 and couldn't score in their first three games. Had 14 against Cincinnati, 14 against um, Oklahoma, and 14 against San Diego State. They were 0-3, couldn't score, couldn't move the football in their first three games. So in this particular game, <clears throat> they are down in this game 35-17 at halftime. All right, so already they've scored more points in their first half than they had in their three previous games, but they're getting blown out. The lead grows to 49-17 with five minutes to go in the third quarter. That would be a 32-point Washington State lead. And then everything turns around. This is an amazing comeback. UCLA scores in the second half 
50 points. And it wasn't just in the second half. They scored 50 points over the final 15 minutes and 48 seconds of the game. 50, not 15, 5-0. And they won a game against Washington State 67-63. to The Washington State quarterback threw nine touchdowns. Uh, Anthony Gordon threw nine touchdowns for Washington State. Dorian Thompson-Robinson threw five for UCLA. There were nearly 1,400 yards in this game. And Washington State turned it over seven times. Seven times they turned the ball over. Including in the second half, four times on fumbles. And UCLA down 49-17 with, with late in the third quarter scored 50 points to end that game and win it 67-63. An amazing football game. Can only happen in college football where there are that many possessions. In the game in the second half, UCLA had nine real possessions in the game, ten total if you include the kneel down to end the game. Nine possessions. That's what an NFL team sometimes has in a game. The Redskins against the Cowboys last week only had eight real possessions. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. For the game, UCLA had 17 possessions in the game. 67-63. That's one of those where if you see the score, you're like, oh, they, they they accidentally put the basketball score from last year in there. Nope, that was a college football game. UCLA average outscored Washington State 50-28 to in the second half. All right, uh, and lastly, just want to talk about Antonio Brown, who got released after we went off the air on Friday. The Patriots released him, um, kept very low-key, just a quick statement. Uh, by the way, Belichick yesterday, questioned by Dana Jacobson. Did you see that in the pregame? Yeah. And he said, we're going to talk about the Jets, and then gave her a stare down that yeah. I thought was uncomfortable and and. Out of line, actually. Absolutely, 100%. Um, and uh, he should be criticized for that. You know, tried to essentially intimidate her, um, which was wrong on every level. And I hope there's an apology coming from him if there hasn't been already. Probably not. Um, so, anyway, AB is cut by the Patriots. Stunning news on Friday. Uh, this was in the wake of the text messages that te- text messages he had sent to the artist um, who had accused Antonio Brown of. You know, sexual misconduct um, in that Robert Klemko Sports Illustrated story. So they release him. And initially, Antonio Brown on Twitter is like, thank you for the opportunity. Good luck, Patriots. You know, he's being very nice mm-hmm. on, on Twitter. Then came yesterday. Um, first of all, there were the tweets that he pulled back um, about, he, he, he tweeted uh, essentially about Robert Kraft. Quote, Kraft got caught in the parlor. AB speculations fired different strokes, different folks, clearly. I don't even know what half that means. I think I do. He's essentially saying Kraft got caught in the in the in the massage parlor, and then A B, it's a bunch of speculation. He gets fired and Kraft didn't. Well, Kraft owns the team. I don't know if Antonio understands that. Um, but then he deleted that tweet. He also tweeted yesterday about Roethlisberger. Four games for Big Ben crazy. Four games for Big Ben. Crazy world, I'm done with it. The problem is he doesn't have punctuation in any of these tweets, which sometimes make them it makes them a little bit difficult to digest. Um, but 
that one basically saying when Big Ben had that sexual, you know, misconduct situation, he got four games suspended, and he's, you know, uh, crazy world because uh, he's he's essentially right now unemployed. Then came this tweet. This tweet late yesterday, actually yesterday morning, from AB. Will not be playing in the NFL anymore. These owners can cancel deals, do whatever they want at any time. We will see if the NFLPA hold them accountable. Sad, they can just void guarantees anytime going on $40 million, two months. We'll see if they pay up. So basically he's saying there, um, translation, um, he's not going to play in the NFL anymore because these owners cancel deals. They do whatever they want and at any time. Hopefully the NFLPA is going to come to my back and hold them accountable because it's sad that they can just void guarantees for $40 million over two months, the $30 million with the Raiders, the $10 million or 9 or $10 million with the, uh, the Patriots. We will see if they pay up. I would not hold your breath, Antonio, about seeing one penny of any of that money. You had incredibly self-destructive behavior. These teams have the right, per the NFLPA and per the CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement, to cut you for any reason prior to paying you uh, any of that signing bonus money. Um, apparently, he'll get paid for the first two weeks of the season, but the first tranche of that $9 million to $10 million signing bonus was actually due today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Patriots are not going to pay that. Um, I think, as I mentioned, this is a very troubled human being, and um, hopefully he's got people in his life keeping an eye on him here over the next couple of months. At this point, I would be stunned if anybody signs him. I don't see anybody coming near him at this point. Remember, it's like the Patriots are the gold standard, and they're the only place where people thought this would work out for him. And when it didn't work out there, nobody else in the league is going to take a shot. Now, the league cannot put him on the exempt list if he's not actually on a roster. But pretty much any team knows that if they were to sign him, he's going on the commissioner's exempt list. And even if these allegations are pure money grabs, which a lot of people believe they are, the text messages that he sent to that artist um, were out of line and... Foolish beyond foolish because it cost him, you know, after. Oh, here's the other thing, too. For all those people that thought it was so clever that he got himself out to, out of Oakland to get to New England, uh, yeah, I, did, I don't think it was that clever because he couldn't hang in there in New England to collect the $10 million or whatever he had coming his way. I think he's done in the NFL. You know, if he goes through major rehab, psychological rehab, he. He, you know, checks himself in somewhere, or he's diagnosed as bipolar, or he's diagnosed as schizophrenic, or something, and he gets help and he gets medication. You know, he's got so much talent that maybe in 2020 somebody else will give him an opportunity. I would be shocked if he gets that opportunity this year. I don't think it's going to happen. By the way, there were some interesting comments from Tom Brady about Antonio Brown in a backwards or in a subtle way because he he told WEEI Radio in Boston where he does a Monday morning show um, on Mondays. uh, He was asked about Antonio Brown and he said, I have a lot of personal feelings, none of which I really care to share. Uh, It's a difficult situation. That's kind of how I feel. But then he went on, not specifically mentioning Antonio Brown by name. Remember, Brady really endorsed this. Uh, There were reports when he got cut the other day that there were some players in the locker room that said A.B. had been a model citizen, 
since the time he had arrived in New England, and they liked him, and they were very upset that the team moved on without him. It was the text messages that did him in. If he doesn't send those text messages to that that artist, maybe he ends up being put on the exempt list for whatever the NFL uncovers via, uh, you know, per its investigation. But anyway, Brady said a, a few things this morning that were very interesting. Here's what Brady said this morning. Quote, There's a lot of human elements. As a player, as a person, I care deeply about my teammates. I want everybody to be the best they can be. From the day I started with this team, even back in college, you try to provide leadership and you try to care for people. You try to provide whatever you think you can to help them reach their highest potential, whatever the situation it is. I've had a lot of teammates over the years, so you invest not just your head but your heart. You invest your soul. That's what makes a great team. That's what makes a great brotherhood. Brotherhood. So I think in the end, the endearing trait about sports for me is the relationships I get to build because they're very meaningful. That's at the heart, I think, philosophically of my life. It's really about great relationships and seeing guys from all different backgrounds. I think it brings us all together in so many ways. He he continued, everyone needs something a little bit different. Everyone's upbringing was a little bit different. Everybody's emotional states are different. How do you contribute, whether someone is hurting physically, mentally, emotionally? How do you provide to them what they may need in order to support them to help us all grow and evolve? Not only as individuals, not only as members of the team, not only as members of the family, not only as members of a community, but everybody has different challenges. Remember, he started this answer by saying, I'm not going to talk about Antonio Brown, but I think he's talking about Antonio Brown and maybe a lot of other teammates that have had troubles along the way during his career. He continues, I think you recognize those challenges. Try to provide them as best as possible and go to bed at night trying to do the best you can do. If things don't work out as you hope, then absolutely when you put your heart on the line, there's emotions that come up, a lot of things that are not always in your control. But you wake up the next day and try to find hope and optimism. Um, He also... He, he kept going on and on and on about, you know, you know, life is tough, especially based on certain upbringings. Um, and he's, you know, he said, we we're in a culture where we want to cast judgment so quickly on people. We want to disparage people so quickly. And it just speaks to me that a lot of people are probably hurting because when you're not feeling great, you want other people to know that I think it becomes very emotional. Uh, really went on and on on radio this morning. This is clearly a response to the Antonio Brown situation. Somebody whose situation, I think, has touched him in in a way. Remember, again, he was very much in support of signing Antonio Brown and took him under his wing. Remember we had this conversation last week? He offered Antonio Brown his house to stay until he found a place. They put his locker near Brady's. I think Antonio Brown's got a lot of issues, clearly. He's very troubled. Hopefully he will get the help that he needs. And it would be a phenomenal redemption story. If he were to get the help he needs, get the medication he needs, get whatever he needs, and he's back in the league next year. Um, by the way, um, a breaking story this morning. The Jags you know, decided they were not going to trade Jalen Ramsey, and he called in sick today. Not, not doesn't want to show up for practice. I don't. I said this on Friday. Why would he not want to be on that team? I don't understand why you wouldn't want to be on that Jacksonville defense. The rumor is he has a problem with Coughlin. Everybody's got a problem with Coughlin. Well, a- ask Michael Strahan about his problems with Coughlin early on. Um, all right, final score prediction. 
for Redskins-Bears tonight. Bears 24, Redskins 23. I think it's a close game. I think it's a game the Redskins have a chance to win. I think my footnote, I gave this on radio, is that the Redskins end up with some sacks. Montez Sweat ends up with his first. And Jay Gruden down 24-17, scores late, goes for two, Aaron. Has some analytics guy up there saying, you got to go for two. And they don't get it, and they lose 24-23. And we're in here talking about an 0-3 team, but slightly encouraged by the performance. That's my guess. Who the hell knows? I don't think I'm going to bet the game, though. Uh, If I had to bet it, I'd bet the over, because everybody's going to be on the under in this game, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so maybe over. That's why 24-23 will get you over. That's 47. And the number's 41 and a half, 42, somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, 41, 42, depending on the book. There you go. Uh, all right, that's it for today. Tommy will be with me tomorrow. Obviously, we will recap the game. Um, enjoy the rest of the day and the game tonight.